I don't usually do this. I actually have had long talks with friends of mine, you know, about selling books and stuff. And it's really hard for me, but not this time. <laughs> and let me tell you why. And this is what I'm going to be preaching on you, to you about too, because I want to let you loose. The thing is, is that I absolutely know that I know that I know that there is a move of women coming. And it's coming all over the world. It's not just in our country. And I so believe that. And I feel like I have a mandate from heaven to raise up women leaders all over the world that I wrote this book for you. This is what I call a 90-day activational I call it an activational because it's like a devotional, but the, at the end of every one, there, at the end of every devotion each day, there's an activation, a prophetic activation. I, I mean, it is brand new. It just went up on Kindle yesterday. I also created with it a companion journal. So if you go on Amazon right now and you put in my name, Wisdom Wonder Woman will come up. I wrote this for you. I also, it just got translated into Brazil and it's selling out because there is a move of women already started there as well. And I'm telling you that the move of God, the move of God that is happening all over the world, I, can you, I am just on fire about this because we are an, we are an important part of what God wants to do in this moment in time and you need to be ready like you need to be made ready and you need to be stirred up in this in this little thing in the beginning is my story so if you don't know my story it's in there and just about everything I have learned from scripture the things that I personally do in my personal life for myself for my children for my grandchildren all that it's in here I put everything in there that I could think Think of to help to prepare you to be a part of this move of God. There's, there's all kinds of women in scripture, you know, I, like Esther, for example. This is not a beauty patent. It's a political story. Abigail, I just met someone whose little girl was named Abigail. Abigail is like my favorite it's my, my favorite female character in the Bible. And for too long, theologians of, you know, different traditions have said that she was actually like an unsubmitted wife. No, she was not. She was a, like a prophet of God. She saw what God was doing and she had the shrewdness and the wisdom to join God where he was working and it caused her to become queen. See, but in, and all the property that she had, you know, most of that property was hers and in her background, in her inheritance had added to David's kingdom. It expanded the kingdom of God. These are the kind of stories about women in scripture. They're not, you know, beauty queens and nice little, no. We're part of the thing. And so, and, and so like, I, it's not that I need your money, I, but I want you to be ready. So if you're able and willing, I would love you to go on Amazon like right now and buy this book and get the, and get the journal too, because when you get the journal too, you see, then you can take notes about what God is saying to you when you do the activations. All right? Okay, I think I'm screaming at you now. I'm sorry. I'm glad you're all here. I'm, so, I'm excited because God actually, I, I asked for this meeting. I asked to meet with the women because I felt like God gave me a, whim, a word for the women in this church and in this city. 
I am shaking. <laughs> um, Sean, are you ready with my little video? Okay, so I'm gonna read the I'm gonna read the word and then I wanna show the video and then I'm gonna explain a little bit more and then I'm gonna then I'm gonna bring you the, the message that I wrote and um, and then we're gonna do an impartation time. Okay? That's how that that's how we're gonna roll this morning. Okay? All right. So are you just let me know that you're ready because I'll start because it's a short word. You're ready. All right. Are you ready? All right, let's pray first. Holy Spirit, we know that you're already here. We had a word about coming into agreement. Lord, your word says that where two or three agree, it shall be done for them. Lord God, and we're standing in agreement right now that we are powerful women of God and we are part of the next move of the Holy Spirit that is coming on the earth. We are participants, Lord God, and we are leaders, Lord Jesus, and you are gonna do something unprecedented among us. And so we stand in agreement with that. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would confirm your word with power this morning, Lord God, that you would fill these women, Lord God, and you would let them loose on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Women of Albuquerque, arise. I'm about to give you new eyes to see what is happening around you. The fog is about to lift. And suddenly, the circumstances and the reality of what the enemy has been establishing will become perfectly clear. But so will my will. I want to give you eyes to see the injustices in your family and in your city. I want to give you eyes to see the hunger of those who are impoverished physically and spiritually. I will open your eyes to see heaven's solutions and strategies. Suddenly, clarity is going to come upon you. Suddenly, you are going to see what that old serpent has, how that old serpent has slithered into your territory. Suddenly, you are going to be overcome with righteous anger and you're going to lift your foot and stomp his head. Suddenly, you're going to see and recognize that you are not weak. You are not gullible. You are mine. And you are armed and dangerous. And then I heard the Lord say this, Annie, get your gun. And you can show the clip now.
Did you hear what the two gentlemen said just before they started that song? Wait a minute, you just started working together. And then they had the dispute. You see, in our country right now, there is a move of women that has already begun. But what I see is that it's releasing some kind of spirit of hatred of men. That's never a move of God. I wanna be very serious with you right now and just tell you that when one oppressed group, and women certainly have been oppressed, it is certainly true that in the church and outside of the church, there has been abuse and oppression of women. I am one, I understand. But whenever one oppressed group rises up, turns around and oppresses another group, how have they achieved anything except becoming what they first In this move of God, God is calling women to rise up and walk with their brothers, their fathers, their leaders. Leadership is not male or female. It's a gift from God. If there's one thing that, that I know God has gifted me with is to be friends with and walk side by side with many male leaders over the years. I've not had to sing this song one time. It's not a competition. It's not a competition between you and me. It's not a competition between you and them. It's not a, it's not a, a war of the sexes. 
It's a move of the Holy Spirit. It is a move of the church to bring the kingdom to all the earth. It is a move about fulfilling the great commission of God as in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach to all creation. And for those who believe these signs will follow, you will cast out demons, you will speak with new and other tongues, you will walk under supernatural protection and you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Leadership is a gift and it comes with a great stewardship and a great responsibility has nothing to do with that. So when I tell you, Annie, get your gun, I am very, very serious, but I'm not, but that, that was just to make the point. That see, any way the enemy can get you fighting with your brothers, fighting with your sisters in some kind of a sharpshooting contest, the people of God and the people on the earth and the people waiting to hear your voice lose out because they will never hear you because you're too involved in a squabble. I was in Georgia when it first happened. I was ministering actually in a tornado shelter because there was a tornado pulling up trees all around the church. And that's when it happened, the Women's March on DC. And I know it's very controversial, but I'm gonna tell you something, some of my thoughts about it anyway. And then I'm hoping that I can help you understand the things that I am seeing without being offended. I, the last thing I want to do is offend you or offend a political spirit in the room and then have you not hear what I'm trying to say. I've been ministering for years to women whose lives have been wrecked by broken promises, financial disparity, educational inequality, governmental injustice, infidelity and betrayal, sexual and emotional abuse, trauma, and every kind of evil. I have wept with them, I have wept for them, I have stood with them, I have stood among them, I have suffered with them and for them. I have witnessed many, but not enough of them healed, restored, and set free. And when I heard the speeches at the Women's March, I was disappointed. I was disappointed because I can feel a women's movement coming on the horizon and I welcome it. I am watching for it. I am waiting for it and I want to move in it. But this is, that was not what I was waiting for. You see, Madonna is not my role model. Reproductive rights are not the big picture in a women's movement. They're hardly in the picture, women of God. The right to abort a child is not the main issue facing women all over the world today, where most women don't not only, they not only do not have the right to choose, but they don't have the right to refuse to be mutilated, burned, married off at nine, raped in a rape camp, sex trafficked, or left out to die simply because of their gender. They have no choice and whether they're going to be a slave in someone else's household or go to school at the age of six years old. I'm so glad that here in America that I can choose to wear genitals on my head, shout any kind of expletive that I can think of, carry a sign, insult the president, threaten to burden down the White House, joke about all kinds of untoward things but I choose not to because that's not my movement. See, I'm, I'm looking for something great. I'm looking for something noble. I'm looking for something worthy of my gender. 
because I believe in women and I think women are noble and I think God created us with intention and with purpose and with great beauty inside and out. I'm looking for something worthy, worthy to turn around all the oppression that has been sent against us since the evil perpetrated against Eve in the garden. I'm looking for those who have a voice of influence and dignity and wisdom that cannot be ignored and will carry into all the nations to protect women's bodies from rape and torture and forced sexual exploitation. I'm looking for a movement that makes way for little girls all over the world to grow up with a choice of schools and a future. I'm looking for a movement of women that will protect the choice of women to marry when they're truly of age to marry if and when they desire such a union I'm looking for a movement of women who conduct themselves with respect, brilliance, dignity, and eloquence. Women who understand that to create a real movement that transforms culture and shapes history requires guts and real sacrifice on behalf of all women everywhere. These are the women that I will march with. You see, the signs are all over in the world. I see it everywhere I go, in every country that I go. Women are beginning to rise up. They're talking among each other. They're wanting to know how to be leaders. They're wanting to know about the things of the kingdom. They're wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're wanting to move in power. And they're wanting to know how to move in power with great dignity and respect so that their voices will be heard. Because listen, God wants to, re wants to restore the voice of women all over the earth. It has been stolen from us. You see it in the movies, don't you? Did you see Wonder Woman? I love that movie. Do you know it was very prophetic? There's lots of, lots of movies right now about, that have women heroes, but Wonder Woman was very prophetic. Did you see the movie? Yeah. And so, you, you see, she's, she's raised, right, by a, a, another group of women. She's mentored, right, by other group of women. She's poured into and all of that. And she thinks she knows her power. And, ooh, she's trained. And she can do all kinds of stuff. But she doesn't really know the power in her. Because why? She doesn't know that there's divine in her. And she doesn't really discover her true power until, until her compassion and her love for others is really tested. Did you ever notice that in the movie? Like, she's powerful and all that, and she certainly is really cute. I like her outfit and everything. But it's not until they're in the midst of the war and that dark force is coming against them all, right? And the, the man she loves and the people she cares about and, and, and the people that she has compassion for and she sees how powerless they are and they're just getting wiped out on every side. And then all of a sudden, there it is, the divine power the supernatural power. That was prophetic for all of us. It's in you. It's in me because we know Jesus and because the Holy Spirit is in us. We have divine in us and we have the supernatural. I'm not saying you're divine. Don't be going and saying my theology is heretical. But if you have Jesus in you, I don't know, is he divine? Psalm 68 says, 
Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As as wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. By his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of the widow is God in his holy house habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound in prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook. The heavens dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it, and you, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. And the Lord gave the word, and great was the company of women who proclaimed it. This is where we're going. This is what is coming. The Lord gave the word, and great was the company of women who proclaimed it. See, this background is the Psalm of David, the prophet of the prophet king of Israel. It's a song of conquest, of unmatched power of God over all his enemies. It was the favorite psalm of the Huguenots. Do you know who they were? The Huguenots, they used this psalm as the song of battle. And the Huguenots, they were a French spirit-filled people movement. It was said in France that there was a day when when a Catholic queen didn't like their theology and so brought a persecution that was so great that the blood ran like a river in the streets of France. What What happened to some of the Huguenots was that they separated the men and the women. The women they put in a tower and the men they sent off slave ships and they took all the children and they put them in convents so that they would learn a different way of life. Now this is not a commentary on Catholicism. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. But what I want to tell you is that I visited that place in France and when you go to the tower where the women were kept, See, they had an opportunity to turn from their faith and to turn from what they believed about the Holy Spirit, and they refused. And written in the stone wall of the tower, it says, resiste, resist. I mean, they had their children taken from them. They had their husbands taken from them, but they would not give up what they had received from God. They thought it better to trust God Resist day. I would say that was courage. The Lord gave the word and great was the company of women who proclaimed it. In every era throughout history, there is a word of God that is being released, a work that God is doing, and there is a company of women that God raises up to proclaim the word. And I believe that there is a great, bold company of women that is being raised up in our day, in this revival that is coming on the earth. And this is your call, and I am commissioning you today. I am calling you out, I am calling you up, and I am telling you it is time to resist day. But you know what I find all over the world? I find that too many of us still question the call and the commissioning of women in the church. 
Can we really be leaders and preachers and ministers of the gospel? Can we really break the box and the religious cultural limitations? Is it true that God still calls and empowers women? And in order to know who we are, to know the call in our lives, discover the power that we have in us, we have to know that we know that we know God has called and he gives us permission and it's biblical. Listen, when I was first called, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church, and I love, love my Baptist roots. Why? Because that is, it's the whole reason why I love scripture so much. It's the reason why when I come to you, I give you messages that are just full of scripture, because if it's not biblical, I don't believe it. It's just the way that is. But I want to make sure that I, that I am interpreting Scripture correctly. But I had my own thing. See, when God called me, I didn't have any Bible school. I was a nurse. I had three little tiny children. My husband was a fireman. Mr. Moss just retired a few years ago from the fire department. He was never in ministry. That was his ministry. So when I got called, I was like, are you serious right now? I'm a girl. But I know what happened to me. I was changed in a moment. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was so radical that when I went home from that women's retreat, my husband was like, who are you? You are scaring me. Listen, I was scaring myself. I was completely changed. And I was having experiences with the Lord. And I had this desire to know the Lord like I had never known in my entire life. And then God sent me to school. Well, I'll tell you something. So God told me in, that, in those first days, it was March, March 22nd, 1994, when I had the encounter with the Holy Spirit. I was 34 years old. I never wanted to be in ministry. I didn't think girls could be in ministry. And so it never was like on my radar. You know what I'm saying? And so God called me to full-time ministry. And I was like, okay, is that like legal for me? <laughs> And so when I went to seminary, my first day of seminary, I am driving to school and I'd been wrestling with some of it. And, you know, it was okay for me to like do the children's ministry and help with the women's leadership and everything. But I knew because God had given me a vision and he had told me that he was going to send me around the world to preach and to prophesy. And that was terrifying to me. And I wasn't really sure if that was okay and so on my way to seminary, God said, go to seminary. I had to, I had to actually look up the word in the dictionary, you guys. I didn't know what it meant. Because the last time I had been to school, I had gone for nursing school. You know, I was a labor and delivery nurse for many years. I was a nurse for 22 years before God called me, before I, before I completely left nursing to do what I'm doing now. And so I'm on my way to seminary and I'm fooling with the channels, you know, and I come from a state where there's a very famous preacher in our state that, that that says some mean things about charismatic people. And I'm full, and, and the, the, the dial just happens to land on his, uh, his program. And he actually said this, and you know this was a setup from the enemy, that women in ministry is a doctrine of demons. And I completely fell apart. I just, I just completely fell apart. I, was, I sobbed all the way to school. When I got to school, I went in. I said, I don't know if I can stay here. Maybe I need to quit. 
And they said, no, before you do, let, let's have you go see your, your academic counselor, you know, and all that. So I went and I sat with him. He started showing me some scriptures and he said, Kim, here's the deal. And I, and I pass this on to you because it's the truth, is that each of us are going to have to find a place to stand in scripture. I can't make the decision for you. I can tell you all the different views. I can tell you all the different traditions. I can discuss with you all the Bible scriptures, which I am gonna discuss with you today because I want to set you loose in the world and I want those of you who are called to leadership to step into leadership and to be the leaders you were created to be. And I want you to know that you have every biblical precedent to stand there and stay there in the midst of any kind of opposition but you have to know it for yourself in your own heart. And I had to find that out. And I wrestled with scripture for more than a year. And at the end of the year, I knew that I knew that I knew that I had the permission of God and I had biblical, I had biblical underpinning to be able to stand in this place that I stand today. The Bible speaks. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man, that word man right there is Adam, it doesn't mean the guy Adam. It means mankind. Let us make mankind in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry around along in the ground. So God created man, human beings, humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, man, Adam, human beings. He was affirming that the image of God is in both male and female, just like your male Male counterparts are made in the image of God, so are you. God refers to himself, you know, in scripture as male and female. Did you know that? See, God is a spirit. He's not a guy. You know, in, we use anthropomorphic, we call it anthropomorphic language. So we describe, we describe God by saying he, father, and all that. But you know, in Isaiah 49, he calls himself the many-breasted one. That's female language. In Genesis 1.28, he makes a covenant with Adam and Eve and God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all created things. He didn't say, Adam, I bless you, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all created things and Eve, you can hang out if you want. Let's read scripture. He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion. It was given to both male and female. Dominion, you know what dominion really is? It's a stewardship. It's not domination, ladies. Here's where some of us get in trouble is that we start to use our little feminine wiles to get our way, you know what I mean? And that is actually manipulation. God doesn't give me a leadership position to dominate anyone, but to come up underneath and support and steward what God is doing in every person that he gives me to lead. I am the first one as a leader to lay down my rights, and I have no right as a leader to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do first. It's just the truth, so let's just get that right out of the way. So dominion is about keeping things in order and keep putting away disorder. You know, the curse came in to the fall and you know, it didn't remove the commission. What it did, it brought disorder in our relationships. 
It brought a corruption into the relationship through sin. The curse diminished the authority of Adam and Eve and their ability to take dominion over the earth. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That word helper fit is ezer kenidgo. Now, I've heard, I've heard all my life, I think growing up, even as a kid, I used to hear sermons on this, you know, and it was like, yeah, the woman is made as a, a helper. Well, when I did a study of scripture, do you know those words, Ezer Kenidgo, do you know that most of the time when it's used in scripture, it's used of God himself. That's the kind of helper he sent. A little different picture of what it means to be a helper, don't you think? And most of the time in those passages of scripture, not only is it God who is the helper, but he's helping as a warrior. Think about it. Steve Wilson, a very good friend of mine and a pastor of a great church in Missouri in his book called Incomplete by Design, and I'm, we are personal friends, said that we need each other according to design. And, and when God created the helper fit, it wasn't about a hierarchy, it was about wholeness. It was about completeness. So Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the Izer word is used 21 times in the Old Testament 16 of 19 times is, is, 19 of the 21 is referring to God. I'm sorry, it's referring to rescue and strength and power. 16 of those 19 times is referring to God and his help. So we are a helper like God. Deuteronomy 33, 26 and 29 says, there is none like you, God, who rides to our help. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help? The Hebrew, kenedgo, it should be rendered actually equal and corresponding to. So Genesis 2.18 actually should read something like this. And this actually was not, is not my interpretation, but Dr. Wes Pinkham, who is a PhD and did a study in this, who was one of my personal professors when I was in seminary, he wrote this, that this, this passage of scripture should be read this way. God made for man a woman fully his matched for the purpose of removing his negative condition, which was being alone. And God created two powers who became complete. One, both, creating, both were created strong and equal powers created in the image of God. This is why we do stuff like that. Anything you can do, I can do better. That's part of the curse. But see, that's because we're pitting each other's strengths against each other and was never meant to do that. We were to walk together in agreement like we were in this morning so that we could do more together than we ever could do alone. Genesis 3.16 in the NASB, it says, he said, and now that you, you know, because of the sin in the garden. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. This is to the woman. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Isn't that interesting? See, that didn't come in until after the curse. The, the time in the garden before they gave in to the, into the word of Satan and you know that's what they did. They put faith in another word. They heard the word of the enemy instead of listening and obeying the word of the Lord. 
And once they did that, then see, sin came into the camp, and then came the curse that your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. You see, hierarchy had no place in the garden. It didn't come in until after the curse, women of God. The fall changed the relational dynamic. Women became subservient to men and created disorder and relational tension. And the curse of disorder is an ongoing battle for superiority and control. See, men would begin to rule over women. It wasn't the original design. Women would desire to control their husbands, and that was not also part of the design. But Jesus came to reverse the curse of the fall. Do you realize that woman, it was, the name Eve was not given to her until after the fall. And that was when Adam, like he named the creatures that God had created, then named the woman and he named her Eve, the woman, the, the, the mother of creation, which in some ways gave us the, the work of childbirth as our call and purpose and identity. We have a great privilege to be mothers We have a great privilege to raise children. All of that is a blessing from God. It's not part of the curse at all. But there's also more for us. One of the things that used to drive me crazy was that on Mother's Day, when I was going and I needed, I don't know about you, but motherhood is one of the most guilt-producing roles that I have ever had in my entire life. I mean, talk about the fear of the Lord. I'm ruining them with every word that I say. It's hard to be a mom. And it's, and it's hard work, you know? And the prayers are never ending. Trust me, my kids are in their 30s. And I'm still praying for them. And it's the most wonderful blessing ever. But you know, so I would go on Mother's Day to church, right? And I'm looking for an encouraging word because man, I've had a hard week or a hard month or a hard year. And some young guy would get up in the pulpit, you know, who was about 10 years younger than me, and he would start speaking on Proverbs 31 and holding it up to me like a measuring rod of all the things that I haven't done well. But do you know, that that, that that passage of scriptures, Proverbs 31, woman, was actually given by Lemuel's mother, the king's mother, to him on how to choose a wife of noble character. And the Hebrew women to this day, they use that to say, Add a girl, you're, you're, you are, have permission to do anything God has called you to do. You can buy a field, you can start a business, you can run the household, you can be over all the servants, you can manage a whole, you can manage a whole gaggle of, of servants and slaves under you, which, you know, I don't want servants and slaves, but you see what I'm saying. Like I can be a manager or a CEO, I can be a supervisor of any kind, I can be a businesswoman, and I can be a mother, and I can be a wife, and I can do all of those things, and Jesus says, yes and amen, you go for it. Old Testament women leaders. Miriam was a prophetess who was sent before Israel alongside her brothers. Find that in Micah 6.4. 
Deborah in Judges 4.6 was a judge and prophetess over all Israel, giving judgments and commands, including to the male leaders. Barak, who was the leader and the captain of the army, he submitted to her leadership and recognized God's call on her life. Huldah the prophet advised male leaders, both high priest and king in 2 Chronicles 22. Psalm 68 says women will proclaim the good news publicly. That's like preaching. Sarah was a matriarch because he, he, he renamed her from Sarai princess to Sarah, mother of nations. She was called as a mother of nations alongside Abraham, who was the father of nations. The New Testament, Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no longer male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no male and female distinction in the kingdom. We are, let me rephrase that. We're distinct. We are distinct from one another because we have difference in gender, but we're equal. We don't lose our gender. We don't lose our rightful place along men in the kingdom either. The Jews used to pray, thank God I'm not a Gentile slave or woman. Paul wrote this passage of scripture to correct that thinking that there's no superiority in Christ Jesus. You see, they were receiving circumcision as a proud symbol of their Jewishness and their manhood. And what did, what did Jesus come and do and what did they institute in the church? They took away circumcision and they gave us baptism. And baptism is for all in the church. It doesn't matter your gender, your age, your educational background, doesn't matter your ethnicity. None of that matters in the kingdom. We're all equal. We are all made in the image of God. What about, I have women, listen, I have more women question me about what I do in the church than men ever do. And I have women all the time ask me, what about the 12 male apostles? Well, I found this from N.T. Wright, and when I studied him out, he was correct. It's not a prohibition on women. It was culturally and religiously sensitive at the time because Jesus walked at a time in a culture that was patriarchal. And it was also a symbolism regarding the 12 tribes and symbolizing Jacob's 12 sons. It's illusion, it was a sign. And it was practical because in that time when you followed a rabbi, you lived with them, dressed with them, ate with them, and did your business around each other. And so he was a man and he had men. But remember, when Jesus was taken to the cross, the disciples fell away. And they, of course, would be restored. But who stayed? Who was the first at the tomb? Who was the first to announce the resurrected Jesus? Who was the first to announce the good news? N.T. Wright says this, and I quote, This is of of incalculable significance. If an apostle is partly defined as one who is a witness to the resurrected Jesus, then Mary Magdalene and the other women were actually apostles to the apostles. Think about that. Female leaders in the New Testament, Mary and Martha, first century, Middle East, Turkey, and the culture, sitting at the foot of a rabbi meant that you were taking the position of a student to learn and be equipped to be a rabbi. What was Mary doing when Martha complained? This is why Martha was upset. Not so much because she had to do all the work, though that made her mad too, but actually because Mary was audacious to assume such a thing. 
And what did Jesus say? She's chosen the best thing. See, according to many scholars, what happened with Mary and Martha is what opened the door for many other women in the early church to seek leadership positions. Isn't that interesting? So much so, I love this, they pointed this out. See, in those early days when the church used to be, when, not when the early church, before the early church, when they persecuted a nation, even, even think about it in the Old Testament when you see the battles going on, what did they do? They would, they would, sometimes they would kill everybody in the camp, but very often they would kill all the males and then they would take the women and the, fem- and the children, right? Because see, the women weren't a threat because you know, they're just women, Right? But time, by the time of the early church, the women were also being thrown into the ring with the lions and being torn apart and perse- they were being persecuted exactly the same as the men. Why? Because women had been loosed by Jesus and they were just as much a threat for the kingdom of God than, than the other gender. There is a book that I love that's pr- sort of hard to read, but it's called... Uh, Well, never mind. It gets me off the subject. Jesus included women in his life and his ministry. How about the Pentecostal outpouring? Probably my favorite, one of my favorite passages of scripture. I wrote a whole doctoral dissertation on Pentecost. Who did did the Holy Spirit fall on? Male and female. There was no discrimination. You know, the 120 in the upper room were boys and girls. Everybody gets to play in the kingdom. You know, the tongues of fire landed on both male and female. Joel prophesied, said, in those last days, my men servants and my maid servants, they're going to prophesy. He didn't say, they get to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but only the boys get to play. That's not what he said. He said, my men servants and my maid servants will prophesy. Prophecy was a gift of the Holy Spirit distributed by the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And he didn't give it just to men. I hope you're hearing me. I am in no way putting down male leaders or our brothers. Listen, there's nothing makes me happier than walking side by side with my husband or with Dr. Alan Hawkins, one of my favorite people in the world. This is not about that, but this is about us rising up to take our place. Because listen, because the world is gonna catch on fire and it's gonna be all hands on deck. Jesus didn't prohibit women from receiving empowerment for witness. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit was poured out for. It wasn't so that we can have a good time and have a party in the church. It was so that you would be a witness to the world of who Jesus is and what he says and what he is still doing in the church today. When we say through Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel, it doesn't say guys only. It's speaking to the entire church. Who does that mean? You and me. Jack Hayford, I am a four square pastor. I don't know if you know that. Jack Hayford was, is one of our big people, I guess. He said, quote, the Holy Spirit's equipment for supernatural ministry was given without discrimination to all God's people to continue until the great and glorious day of the Lord. All God's people. 
You see, all God's people. There were house churches. Acts 16 shows house churches. Lydia was a house church. Chloe, Chloe, Nympha, Aphia, all house churches. Oh my goodness, I am just, my brain is going a million miles an hour. I want to say so many things and I only have this much time. All house church leaders at that time were churches. They ran churches. They didn't have churches like this. So when they say that they were a house leader, they had people in their house that were, it was the church. They were, they were pastors over churches. They were leading entire churches. And they weren't told to stop it. In Romans 16, 7, Paul calls a woman Junia or Hunia, an outstanding apostle. He calls Phoebe a servant or a deacon, a leader of a house church. He calls Priscilla the teacher of Apollos and a fellow worker, a term which he used for other male leaders. Hunias was a translation given by historians because they wanted a name for a man. But Hunia, that name in that time was actually very common for a woman. So there's no need to change it. Paul included and affirmed women in ministry of the kingdom. He made no distinction between the roles of male and female in leadership. What about Paul's prohibitions against women? Well, simply this. They're not general principles for all women at all times and all places, but they're pastoral solutions for specific problems that he he faced in specific churches at a moment in time. He wasn't wanting to make male and female gender roles. He wasn't wanting male and female gender roles in the church shaped by the world. He wanted them to shaped by God. He's not addressing male and female roles in ministry. He's at times pointing out difficulties in husband and wife relationships. I love when he says, we, see, we have to look at all of his writings to understand what he's really saying. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, 33, Paul is instructing the church. He says that we all practice the gifts. All may prophesy. And he said, if, if you have a word, then one by one, you should prophesy. He didn't say, um, guys. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am in Christ. This was to everyone, not just the men in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, he does say, let the women keep silent in the church for they're not permitted to speak, but let them subject themselves just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. It's improper for a woman to speak in church. Why would he say that? Listen, I grew up in a church that said that women couldn't teach men older than 12 years old. What did that mean for my son that was 13? Here's the thing. If you look at the context in which the scripture comes, he is saying, let everyone begin to learn. He's saying that while they're learning, while the women are learning, while they're being trained and taught in the church, because they've never been trained before like the men have, they've got lots of questions. They shouldn't be disturbing the whole classroom. But when they get home, they can ask their husband because probably since he was about this big, he's been learning. And he has some answers to questions that she can find out there and we don't have to disturb what's going on. He didn't say they can't learn. He's saying let them alone and let them learn. Let them learn in quietness. We have to always interpret scripture in light of the entire context. I'm 
I'm deciding what I'm going to say here. It was actually very radical that Paul stated that we get to learn. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 15. I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, and discreetly, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as befits women making claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. This has been an ouchy scripture for many of us for many years. I love this. It says, but let her not with braided hair, gold pearls, or costly garments, but rather by means of good works. Do you know, I just did a study on, on that terminology, good works. Good works is not just ethical works. It's not morally good. It's also supernatural works. So then why would Paul say, why would, Paul and, why would Timothy say that we can, we can adorn ourselves with good works, but we can't teach or exercise authority over a man? What does all that mean? See, in this passage, he's, he's actually admonishing both men and women to dress appropriately as they minister. And then he's saying, and the women, they're going to study and they're, they're going to learn like the men in full submission to God and their teachers. And then I love Steve Wilson, how he, how he explains this. He says, the rare word for authority here is not the word used for positive authority like in leadership, but for negative authority like usurping or abusing authority. So he's saying that don't let women abuse or usurp authority. Why? Because they were newly finding their freedom. How many of us, when we first find our freedom, we first learn something new, we sort of swing over to that side before we come back over to the middle somewhere and understand how to use what we've been given. Remember the context again. This was sent to Timothy in Ephesus. In that place, in that time, there was a cult, and that cult of Artemis was led by women priestesses, and they abused and dominated men in the society. Paul is wanting to set an order in the church that was different than in the pagan culture. He was not saying that we are not allowed to exercise ministry or leadership in the church. N.T. Wright says, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 should read like this. They must be allowed to study undisturbed in full submission to God. And I'm not saying that women should teach men or dictate to them, but they should be left undisturbed. He says that that is a better uh, rendering of that passage of scripture. He's been a New Testament scholar for psh, all of his life. He is the most respected New Testament scholar there is right now on the planet. We're all called to good works. Ephesians 2.10 said we were created for good works. John 10.32, I love this part because, see, Jesus says, for which of these good works are you trying to stone me? He had just healed a man on the Sabbath, and they were angry and they were gonna stone him. And he turns to them, he says, for which of the good works that I have shown you are you gonna stone me? And Ephesians says that we were all created, we were the masterpiece of God, and we were all created to do good works that God prepared for us beforehand. So what are good works? They're not just ethical and moral good works, which they are as well, but they're also supernatural works. And doesn't make a distinction between male and female. He says, us in the church. 
This is not an exhaustive theological treatise, women of God. It's just the tip of the iceberg that I wanted to talk to you. It's just a beginning of a foundation for you to stand on so that when you receive a call and commission, you can feel confident in what God has asked of you and what God is calling you to. And you will have to find a place to stand. The Bible speaks for our liberty and he is calling us out. History speaks. Throughout history, there have, been very, there have been many brave Christian women who have impacted and influenced society. Did you know that on the forefront of every move of God throughout history has been a move among the women? When you study revival history, that's what you find. And I'm telling you, it's gonna happen again. In the 1400s, Joan of Arc, led the entire army of France to victory so that the king who had been, who was uh, usurped could be placed on the throne. In the 1500s, St. Teresa of Avila, the mystic, the Carmelite nun, she wrote the famous book, The Interior Castle, has guided millions of people into spiritual development for intimacy with Christ. In the 1600s, Susanna Wesley, she is the reason that John Wesley and Methodism came into being because mother was faithful and she taught those kids. 1800s, Harriet Tubman, one of my favorite. She formed the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society in 1833. She was a Christian who herself escaped slavery and she was one of the most influential leaders of the movement of the Underground Railroad. Florence Nightingale, the famous nurse. She was a social reformer and she was the founder of modern day nursing. She said, and I quote, if I could give information of my life, it would be sh to show how a woman of very ordinary ability has been led by God in strange and unaccustomed paths to do in his service what he has done in her. And if I could tell you all, you would see how God has done all and I nothing. I have worked very hard, very hard, and that is all. And I never refused God anything. Historical movements speak. Five movements reveal that women change the world when they rise up and leave. There was the holiness movement. Do you know the holiness movement that led to the, that led to the Pentecostal movement was actually a women's movement in the beginning? Then the holiness movement, which gave birth to Methodism and revival camp meetings, the second great awakening in Pentecostalism, was the, one of their leading leaders was Phoebe Palmer, a woman who used to have a Tuesday meeting Bible study because even in her day, women weren't really allowed to publicly lead in church and she had more male leaders coming to her Tuesday Bible meetings than they had in almost any church meeting on the planet at the time. Beginning in 19, 1839, men were allowed to attend the meetings and among the men were bishops, theologians, and ministers of every rank. She played a significant role in the spread of Christian holiness across the United States. She wrote several books. She influenced the temperance leader, Francis Willard, who was the co-founder of the Salvation and the co-founder of Salvation Army, which was Catherine Booth. She wrote a book called The Promise of the Father, where she defended the idea of Christian women in ministry leadership. The temperance and the suffrage movement was born out of the Second Great Awakening. The Christian's temperance movement was the largest women's movement prior to the 1900s. It was left, led by Frances Willard, two million members. Two million members. And you know what they were doing? 
They were supporting women's suffrage as a weapon of protection over the home because of the tyranny of alcoholism. Then there was the missionary movement in the beginning of the 20th century, 40 missionary organizations led by women only. 856 single missionary women were sent out all over the world. Then there was the healing movement and that was led by Carrie Judd Montgomery and Mariah Woodworth Eder. The Pentecostal movement who was actually, actually helped to be birthed by Agnes Osmond. January, num- January 1st, 1901 was the birth of the Pentecostal movement when Agnes Osmond prayed for the infilling of the Holy Spirit and she got filled and began to speak in tongues and she influenced, she was with William Seymour. And Amy Semple McPherson, one of my favorite people because she's the one that started the Foursquare Women's, the Foursquare uh, denomination of which I am now a part of. She was the founder of the International Church of the Foursquare Movement. Says the advent of Amy Semple McPherson marked a turning point in the history of the Pentecostal movement, the first Pentecostal well known to the public at large. Indeed, Sister Amy proved that Pentecostals were capable of producing preachers with as strong a public appeal as Finney himself, D.L. Moody, and Billy Sunday. She was a woman's preacher. Do you know that out of her commissary, commissary in the 1920s, she fed more people than the, than the social, uh, the social uh, organizations in Los Angeles out of her church? Do you know, see, I love this because I'm part of the Foursquare Church. So do you know that Angelus Temple, which is her icon church, it was the church she built in Los Angeles. Do you know that there is, a, there is a space when you go and visit, there's a space in the back that looks like a big, like a big, like sloping thing and it opens up into the back like of the, of the sanctuary, um, a back part of the sanctuary. Well, it's not used anymore, but in her day where she preached three times a day, seven days a week, and she had actors from Hollywood coming to see her, to see her, uh, her illustrated sermons. Anyway, she was, so, she was so anointed for healing. So many people got healed. They had what they called a 500 room that my dad has seen it because my dad used to go hear her preach when he was a kid. But they had a 500 room and in the 500 room were all the, all the braces and the crutches and the wheelchairs and things that people left behind. Well, she got so known for healing and so many miracles that ambulances before they took them to the hospital would back in. They made a place in the temple. They would back down that thing and she would go out, her and her ministers and the people on their staff and they would lay hands on them and very often they got up and got out of that ambulance. A woman did that. A woman did that. Vincent Sinan, a very famous Christian historian wrote this. At strategic times in history, what kind of time are we in right now? At strategic times in history, God has chosen women and empowered them with his Holy Spirit to carry out his will in extraordinary ways. At the dawn of the greatest revival since the day of Pentecost, he bestowed on a humble woman, Agnes Osmond, the privilege and responsibility of being the first to experience and proclaim the Pentecostal baptism of the Holy Spirit in the 20th century. And throughout the century, he called countless women, empowering them to fulfill both humble and high-profile assignments. In the 20th century, spirit-filled women were beginning beginning to discover that these women were not the exceptions to God's plan, but they were the prototypes for all God's women. And I'm going to end with this, and then we're going to lay hands on you to be empowered. Did you know that the origin of Mother's Day is very different than what we call it today? 
In the United States, Mother's Day was originally intended to call women to unite against war. It was a call for women to join forces to affect societal change for the human family. In our day, it's been reduced to something sentimental. In 1870, Julia Ward Howe wrote the Mother's Day Proclamation as a call for peace and disarmament. She failed in her attempt to get a formal recognition at that time for Mother's Day, but her idea influenced Anne Jarvis, a young Appalachian homemaker, who starting in 1858 attempted to improve the sanitation for families who were poverty-stricken. And she called it Mother's Day work. And in 1868, she began work even among women to reconcile the Union and Confederate families in our nation. She died in 1907, but she started that crusade and it became memorial, a memorial to her. I went and I looked up the original proclamation. I have it here. Would you stand? And I'd like you to all come up and just line up all across the front. And um, my friends, would you come up with me up on the platform? Mary, Beth, and Robin, and Mama Gail. I know that was sort of a long, involved message. I just was just burning for you. I'm gonna read this proclamation over you and then I'm gonna read this word over you again if that's okay. Would you just put your hands out in front of you? And I'm gonna ask those of you that are right here in the front, would you just step back just a little bit because see, after we do this, we're gonna come down among you and we're just gonna lay hands on you and release an impartation, okay? And I wanna just have room because I'm not that skinny anymore. <laughs> this was the original proclamation over Mother's Day, and I'm proclaiming it over you, because this is a new day, women. We're being called to something much greater. We're, we're being called to a move of God that is gonna sweep the earth like we have never known. It's gonna cause reformation in all kinds of places, and you need to be ready, and you need to be armed and dangerous. Arise then, women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether our baptism be of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. We will not have the great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands will not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons will not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. Arise, women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether our baptism be of tears or water. Judges 5.6 says, in the days of Shemgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. Isaiah 6, 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
Psalm 68, 11 says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. The Lord sent the word and great was the company of women who proclaimed it. You are the great company. And lastly, Mark 16, 15 to 18. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, you will cast out demons and you will speak with new tongues. You will take up serpents and if you drink anything deadly, it will not hurt you. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And lastly... Women of Albuquerque, arise. I am about to give you eyes to see what is happening all around you. The fog is about to lift and suddenly the circumstances and the reality of what the enemy has been establishing will become clear and so will my will. I want to give you ears and eyes to see the injustices in your family, in your city. I want to give you eyes to see the hunger of those who are impoverished physically and spiritually. I will open your eyes to see heaven's solution and strategies. Suddenly, clarity is coming upon you. Suddenly, you're gonna see where the old serpent has slithered into your territory. Suddenly, you will be overcome with righteous anger. You're gonna lift your foot and you're gonna stomp his head. Suddenly, you're gonna see and recognize that you are not weak, you are not gullible, you are not naive, you are mine, says the Lord, and you are armed and dangerous. Annie, get your gun. So Holy Spirit, right now, we just come in the name of Jesus. We hear your call and we hear your commission. We know that you are calling us to the forefront in this battle for the hearts and the minds of those in the world who have yet to know your voice and know your heart for them. And we say, Lord God, here we are, send us. But Father, today we are asking that you would empower us afresh. You would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us everything that we have need of, Lord God, that our gifts would be stirred, Lord God, that our hearts would be impassioned, Lord God, that our minds would be compelled, Lord God, that we would no longer have a no in our heart, but we would have a great big yes. So we give you permission. We give you permission, God, to empower us. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.